0: Tonight's reading is James 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment this is god's word
1: keep james 2 open and let's pray father god forgive us for the excuses we make forgive us for the wickedness that is often in our hearts and please father by your spirit change us so we would love as we have been loved amen well, James 2 feels an awful long way from lockdown life. I mean, the, the biggest issue today with telling somebody in church, here, sit at my feet, of course, is the breach of social distancing, uh, not the, um, the rudeness that is involved. And most of us, statistically, we're, the, the greater number of us are logging into church rather than turning up live. So we just can't do what James says don't do here. But the action that James prohibits flows from an attitude of heart. And that attitude can be every bit as present in lockdown as in normal life. And so God's Spirit is going to perform heart surgery on us tonight. As we consider how we treat, how we think about other people. And the aim is that the words of our mouths and the actions of our bodies will be more honouring to God as a result of what we study tonight so that when we can meet up again and in the ways that we do behave to, towards one another on Zoom or on our individual meetups that we love and serve because God is actually extremely bothered by how we treat other people. Now, James is uh, writing, as we've seen, to encourage and challenge us that genuine faith in Jesus makes a genuine difference to how you live your daily life. That's what he's, he's really writing to tell us. Look, genuine faith in Jesus makes a genuine difference to the way you live your daily life. The key verse came at the end of chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If the book of James had a logo, it would be the Nike logo. Just do it. James says, enough with the excuses, just do it. God has spoken, time to act. And now, as we get into chapter 2, James begins to explore a bit more, what, well, okay, what does it look like to just do it, to put God's word into practice in daily life? And he begins here with how we treat others, and in particular those who are less desirable, shall we say, for whatever reason. And he tells us, look, genuine faith loves all people and does not show favoritism. Firstly, don't show favoritism to the rich. God loves the poor and despised. So verses 1 to 7, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus must not show favoritism. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Literally, must not receive the face. Don't discriminate on the basis of appearances, he says. But why does he say in particular here, this, this rare phrase, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not do this, rather than just believers in Jesus? Well, I, I don't know if you're as pathetic as me, but on the one or two occasions when I've met a celebrity, I have been desperate for people to ask me, how was your day? I don't want to tell them, I want to be asked because that way it doesn't look like I'm bragging and, and, and to be able to say, well I, I happen to meet, have a conversation with, be in the same room as. Why? I mean, it's, why? Well because there is that weird sense that if I've been hanging out with somebody impressive, if I've met with someone impressive, if someone impressive has talked to me, then a little bit of that impressiveness, a little bit of the glory has, has kind of rubbed off on me. It's just pathetic. I'm sure you're nothing like that. But, but how utterly pathetic for a Christian. I think, hang on, you're worried, I think James is saying, about how much glory you get, how, how impressive the person you're speaking to is. You get to hang out with Jesus Christ the whole time, the glorious one, God over all. That's all the glory you could need. Stop worrying about the glory you can get from other humans. This would actually probably pan out rather differently today because the the phrase a fine suit or fine set of clothes literally means shiny. Now, I think if someone walks into the doors here wearing a shiny suit and covered in gold bling, most of us would probably avoid them and be slightly suspicious of them. But the point applies to us just the same. Do we judge on the basis of appearances and, and then treat people differently depending on whether we like what we see or not? it doesn't matter whether it's how wealthy someone is or, or how trendy their clothes are or how they speak or, or how fun they appear to be we're all tempted to make a real effort with some people and with other people a very warm welcome and hello and who can I palm them off to but that's not how Jesus treats people and do you notice that James says it's evil you've become judges with evil thoughts verse 4 why evil? not just unloving or immature, but evil. I'm not sure I really got this for a long time because as part of the majority culture, I think I've probably, by and large, fallen on the quote right side of the discrimination. But when I, was a, when I was a young lawyer here at CCM just after we planted the church, one of my friends was called Jason and he was a, he was a doctor. We had similar jobs, we went to the same church, we had similar groups of friends. And yet, I've never been stopped and searched. Jason's black. Lost count of the number of times he's been stopped and searched. He's about as physically intimidating as Justin Bieber, but his skin color is wrong. And so, stopped and searched the whole time. Now, most of us think that is really unfair. That is awful. And we're glad that there seems to be a sea change in society that this kind of thing needs to this needs to be sorted out for all the yeah the caveats this needs to change well let's make sure we don't end up sharing that evil by making our own judgments purely on the basis of appearance when people come to church with us don't discriminate on the basis of appearance now in verses 5 to 7, uh, James now gives us a theological and then a practical reason for why this is so wrong. A theological and a practical reason. First, he says, to treat a poor person like this is to go against the grain of God's behavior. Verse 5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? He says, look, first, to treat the poor, and obviously this applies to all, all the different categories of difference, but he goes for the economically different, and let's not pretend that that doesn't factor into our thinking. And he says to treat people like that, well, it, it goes against the grain of God's behaviour. It's not that salvation is means tested, no higher rate taxpayers in heaven. It's James is saying, look, there's a pattern you can observe. God lavishes the riches of his grace so often on the very people the world ignores, oppresses, despises, treats like muck. Now think about it. When God came to choose his people, did he choose mighty Egypt, the most impressive culture of the day? No, he chose their slaves. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29 Look, few of you Christians, few of us are impressive or noble or wealthy. And today, although Christians are found all around the world, in all strata of society, actually overwhelmingly, Christians are found amongst the poor. The advocacy group uh, opened doors in their January 2021 report They say that 340 million Christians live under persecution or oppression around the world. In Pakistan, Christians are treated as basically third-rate citizens. Last July, there was a little bit of a furore when the government there advertised jobs for sewer cleaners. It's foul always and frequently dangerous and quite often fatal work. And the advert said, This is not for Muslims, only Christians need apply. And so James asks, why on earth do you cold shoulder the very kinds of people that God seems to go out of his way to bring into his kingdom? Then, secondly, uh, more practically, he says, look, in verse six and seven, the wealthy often use their power and position to oppress rather than to bless. Not every wealthy person, he's not making a rule, he's just observing a pattern. That's one actually his readers probably knew well. The oppression of the poor by wealthy landowners in Galilee was so bad in the late 60s AD that there were riots that led to a civil war. And he says, look, given all of that, given God's, well, the way that God seems so often to reach down, given the way that the, the rich often mistreat the poor and, and, and therefore bring, bring dishonor on the name of God, then why would you show preference to those people? Now, as I say, the issues that cause each of us to show preference and discrimination will be different. But all of us are to do it. And all of us, therefore, need to ask, who do I welcome into church? Who do I reach out to when I seek to share the good news of Jesus? Who do I invite into my home? Now, in lockdown, we might feel, well, look, I don't, <laughs> don't get to do any of those things, really. I think I guess we should take stock of who do I drop contact with as my world has shrunk? Who do I make an effort to, to, to stay in touch with, to keep up with, to, to have yet another exhausting Zoom with? Who, who gets my effort and who do I quietly, perhaps even unthinkingly, just drop? Just up the road from here, um, in All Souls Langham Place, the the church really became famous under the the ministry of John Stott. And at the height of his fame in the 60s and 70s and 80s, he he, he really drew uh, people from all around the world to come and hear him teach the Bible. A wonderfully godly, humble man, an amazingly powerful Bible teacher. And... uh, (laughs) It got to the stage where you'd often have on a Sunday this line of of diplomats and foreign bishops and other dignitaries. You'd come to London to to meet, to hear and then meet the the great John Stott. And he would be deep in conversation, bent over with a little old lady at the back of church and just completely blissfully unaware of this line of dignitaries. And some uh, foolish assistant minister would tug him at the sleeve and say, John, there are some rather important people here to see you. And as the story goes, his response tended to be more important than her. She's made in the image of God the Father. God the Son saw fit to shed his blood to save her. God God the Holy Spirit thinks she's a fitting home for him to dwell in. Who could be more important than her? Oh. (laughs) The same goes for us. No one... Has ever walked through the doors of Christchurch Mayfair or logged onto one of our online services who is not made in the image of God. There is no category of person who has ever joined us for whom Jesus has not died and in whom the Holy Spirit does not live. Let's remember that when we make those split second decisions about who's going to get my time and who am I going to just avoid. Now, I have to say, if I'm honest, I'm really, really encouraged by some of you here. Uh, Some here who I know have great privileges of wealth and education and social skills. And yet, I see you giving time and attention to those who are different, difficult, needy. Uh, Not just the first week, but seeking them out the next week, making time to meet up with them, looking after them properly in your DG group. And it really honors God when individuals in the church behave like that but let's be honest, all of us are tempted to make excuses for why not me, not them, not this Sunday. And when people walk through the door or join our small group on Zoom, we are to look at them and think, God has chosen people like this to inherit the kingdom of heaven. God loves people like this. And so should I. Secondly, uh, show mercy to the poor because favoritism breaks the law of love. We get some typical James bluntness now. Verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Thanks for that, James. Uh, He doesn't sort of sugarcoat it at all, does he? He says, look, favoritism breaks God's law. It's God's royal law. Love your neighbor. Now, love for others is the royal law. Why? Well, because when King Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? Of course, he responded, the first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And favoritism means not loving neighbor. Favoritism is is loving self. It means I treat others in a way which is basically determined by what I get out of it, if we're honest. You know, I, I get nothing from this person. I find them difficult or awkward or boring or annoying. But that person, oh, I really enjoy talking to people like that. It's easier. It's more fun for me. If I invite that person to the pub after the church, I think we all know it's me who's going to have to buy the drink. But then, well, i imagine they can buy me a drink too. And I love me, and so I want to make my life better, so I'm going to invest my time with them and not them. Now, in spite of the ways we dress it up and excuse it, well, you can understand why James calls it evil. It, it, It views people as either drains to be avoided or resources to be used. Instead of seeing them as precious beings made in the image of God to be loved and served, and cherished. Now, note he doesn't say to indulge in favoritism is to break one of God's laws. He says it's to become a lawbreaker and explains why in verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, You shall not commit adultery, also said, You shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. In other words, God's law is not like an exam at school, like this. Um, If anybody can solve this, um, no, don't try. Don't try and note it down. Uh, It's a maths exam. (laughs) Anyway, um, you don't have to take them this year if you've got exams anyway, from what I hear. But God's law is not like that. It's not like an exam where if you get 90%, wow, I'm pretty pleased. And frankly, I don't care about the question I got wrong. I got 99%. That's brilliant. It's actually much more like an infection. Uh, imagine, actually doesn't take much imagination, I, I think, for most of us. You've got a relative who is very vulnerable and is shielding. And so you require that anybody who visits the home has to get a test. And if the test comes positive, you're not coming in. Now, if you break that rule and allow in just one person who's tested positive, well, at that point, it doesn't really matter that you kept out the other 99 as soon as you've let in one, you've broken the health, the sanctity, the safety of the house. The purity has been ruined. And it's like that with God's law. You break one law, you have, you've broken the law. You are a lawbreaker. It matters. It really matters. Now the passage finishes with warning and encouragement in verses 12 and 13. And his big point here really is love like you've been loved. I think that's what he wants to tell us. Love like you've been loved. Look at verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment big point of verse 12 really is look God's laws are, are good and life-giving and it actually as much as a challenge it is it, it ought to be clear from our lives and our attitudes that we see living God's way as freedom rather than slavery and then he mentions of course mercy at the end he comes back to mercy judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful but mercy triumphs over judgment I think the reason he does that, it requires you to look back to the Old Testament and what's a right attitude to the poor, which has been his theme throughout this section. And quite often in the Old Testament passages, encouraging a right attitude to the poor, the word mercy is used. So in uh, Zechariah 7, 9 to 10, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless the foreigner or the poor, show mercy. In other words, James is saying, look, show mercy to the poor as those who've been shown mercy by God. And do not expect mercy from God if there is no mercy in your heart to others. He says, look, think about how God has treated us. He didn't wait for us to come into the building He went out to find us when we were ignoring him, living selfish lives. And we certainly weren't his kind of people when he welcomed us in. We had nothing to offer him, nothing he needed. He got no status, no reflected glory from hanging out with us. We were far beneath him. And worse still, we were dressed in the foul, sewer-stenched rags of our wicked, impure, filthy behavior. But in his mercy, he stooped low, welcomed us in and cleansed us. That's how we've been treated by God. And this mercy that he talks about here, it is the, the free gift of God's welcome for you and me, but it's also a real power. It's a gift, but it's also a power. In that a genuine encounter with God's mercy being forgiven our sins, it transforms our hearts so that we start showing mercy to others. And if we won't show mercy to the poor and unloved in this world, it probably shows we haven't recognized our spiritual poverty and neediness before God and so James's point if there's no mercy in your heart for others it probably means you haven't received God's mercy and there should be no confidence on judgment day but when we do show mercy well, mercy triumphs over judgment and that gives you oh, it just gives you confidence that you're trusting in Christ and you will be okay on judgment day not because you do good things but because they they show that you've received God's forgiveness Okay, as we close, two things. Uh, firstly, what if I feel I've been on the receiving end of this kind of behaviour, and uh, what about the rest of us? Look, if you feel like you've been on the receiving end of this sort of behaviour from church, then on behalf of church, I am sorry. Please forgive us. Do talk to the small group leaders in your group, or or to me, or to the staff. And let me just urge you three little things. As you, uh, as you deal with it. One, don't attribute to malice what's maybe misunderstanding. Two, as hard as it is, try to show mercy just as you want to be shown mercy. And three, why not use that experience as a motivation to make sure nobody else ever has the experience you had. Step up and make a difference. Help us to be better. And for the rest of us, uh, well, remember how God has welcomed you and me, as unattractive as we are. Pray that that would help you and me to welcome others. Pray that we would extend his welcome. We should have a deep concern for outsiders and visitors that goes well beyond uh, the warm smile and the confident handshake because God loves and cares for all people. And love is more interested in what they have to say than who I want to talk to. Love is, love remembers people's names the next week. Love doesn't look for an excuse to duck out of the conversation and hand people on while I chat to old friends. Love is costly, it requires effort. It requires us to die to ourselves. But love like that is beautiful. Love like that makes people want to come back to our church. Love like that makes people want to find out about the Jesus Christ who is at the heart of our church. And that ultimately is the reason to treat people this way. Let's pray. Our Father God, forgive us for when we have discriminated, when we have failed to love those who are difficult or different or needy. Father, thank you for the way that you reached out and showed us such extravagant mercy and love. Having received that from you, help us to show that to others for your glory and that the Lord Jesus Christ might be seen as glorious. Amen.